0: Welcome to Kindled Podcast. I'm your host, Haley Williams, and this is the show where we talk about truth and grace boldly. I'm so glad you're here. Well, hey guys, it's Haley, and this is episode 109 of Kindled. I just have a couple notes before I launch into today's episode and a couple ways that you can help support Kindled, and they don't cost you a dime. The first one is you can leave us a review on the podcast app. You can also Google Kindle podcast in your Google search bar on a computer and leave one on there if you are not using the podcast app on your phone. The second thing you can do is you can listen to episodes by downloading them instead of just streaming them. So let me explain the difference. When you stream something, you're just playing it and you're not actually downloading it to your phone. You're just streaming it directly from the source. So in your podcast app, if you just click play instead of that little iCloud, like down arrow icon, you're just streaming it. If you're subscribed to Kindled, each episode downloads automatically into your app. So you don't have to worry about it. So if you're subscribed, you're good. If you're not subscribed, go ahead and Subscribe. And if you don't subscribe, then you can just click the download button to listen. I hope that's clear and not too confusing. But essentially, that's the only way I know if anyone is listening. I don't get notifications or it doesn't track the people who listen who are streaming. I can only see how many downloads an episode gets. And that also serves to help boost the show's ratings within the podcast app and help other people find it through their newsfeed. And their feed in the podcast app. So, okay. Thank you so much. So for today's conversation, I am talking with my friend, Sarah Guild, who is the former women's minister at my church, all about grace and truth. Our culture does not believe that grace and truth go hand in hand. It doesn't believe that they can coexist. They say that in order to have one, you must abandon the other. If you're going to have grace for someone, that means you must withhold the truth. And if you're going to be honest with someone, you're just going to go all in, lay your cards on the table, and speak your truth regardless of how it affects the other person. But this is not how we see scripture exhort us to navigate relationships. So I am bringing in Sarah as a wise older sister, really, to chat about grace and truth with me. Uh, and the role that they play in our relationships, both with believers and those outside the faith. So here is my conversation with Sarah. Sarah, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to be here with you. So I would love for you to kind of introduce yourself and tell the listeners a little bit about your family
1: before we begin. Awesome. Well, I am married and our 18th anniversary is next week and we have four kids Almost 13, almost 11, six, and almost five. So we have two, old, two older boys, two younger girls, and our family was formed with both biological ties and adoptive ties. So we are a family with a lot of complicated stories interwoven in beautiful and amazing ways. Mm-hmm. So, and I work at the church as a women's minister. And before that, I was a teacher trained teachers, stayed home with my kids. So my vocational pursuits have been all over the map throughout my adult life. Yeah. And are you still going to school, going back to school for your master's? I am. Yes. So I'm in the process of pursuing my master's from Trinity Seminary, and it's a dual master's in bioethics and theological studies. So I'm diving in full on, diving in this semester. So that is
0: intense that's it that, that sounds like an intense <laughs> did you call it a double mate what do you call it double
1: it's a double major it's a dual masters dual masters. How they term it. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah wow that's intense so what do you like what's your vision for that
1: Well, one of the things i started to realize is as time goes on the questions we will have to answer all of us not just people in the medical field not just people on the forefront of technology, but we will all have to answer questions and navigate things involving questions about just because we can doesn't mean we should. Mm -hmm. And that will be in various ways for all of us, something we have to think about. And I want the church and all of us to be able to be equipped to think about it because there won't just be one answer. It will Require a lot of wisdom and a way we thoughtfully think about it. So I'm hoping to be prepared to help us think about it.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. I know. I mean, there's there's just so much technology that is being developed right now that it's crazy. Like I'll hear stories of you know people being able to like select the gender of their child or yes stuff like that. That I'm like, wait, people are already able to do that. I don't know if that's just like clickbait, but I would imagine if they're not, it will be soon, right? <laughs>
1: Right, so that's coming on the forefront. Yeah, the more abilities we have, the more technology is available at our fingertips. The more we can manipulate things. Mm-hmm. Thus, we will have to be able to think about why we would choose to do things and not to do things. Right. So, yeah,
0: absolutely. So we're diving in. Okay. Yeah. And I you love teenagers. Okay. Feel
1: like I'm getting into my groove. Like, oh, here we go. So. Fun. When you were a teacher
0: is that the grade that you taught the, the ages that you taught?
1: I did. I taught high school okay. physics and chemistry, so I'm I'm ready to roll with that. Oh, <laughs> wow. So I want to chat with you today about this
0: focus of grace and truth. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think it's something that's been on my heart recently in the last 6 months just in relationships and friendships and family you know, I I think uh, all of us are probably living in the tension and the reality of those two things all the time, but different seasons can kind of bring those out more than others. And we're presented with, you know, various circumstances or situations where we feel like, okay, I feel like I'm being nudged in one direction or the other here. Like, okay, Mm -hmm. I, I need to speak the truth or wow. I really need to, you know, extend the grace of God to this person. And sometimes I personally, Struggle with that balance and that tension, I guess. I don't think I'm the only one, and I don't know if it's just particularly because of the way I was raised with a lot more on the legalism side of you know following the rules and doing the right thing and all of that that I feel this tension all um all the time. But I guess it would be helpful for you to kind of explain what that problem or that tension is. Can you kind of cast that for us and understanding? why grace and truth are some
1: things that we can struggle with. Absolutely. And I think we all live in cultural waters that we're breathing in. So when we come to understanding both grace and truth, and I'm going to add love and wisdom in there because we're going to weave those things together as we talk about this. I don't think you can separate those things, Mm. but the cultural waters we breathe in have caused us to see those terms, those phrases those ways of living in ways that I don't think reflect biblical reality. So we have an understanding of grace that we've breathed in that is actually cheap Mm -hmm. and it's a grace that doesn't change anything that just says what you are is all you'll ever be. And then we have the opposite side would be a truth that bludgeons people irrespective of where they are and doesn't listen or respond with questions or understanding. So those two things that we experience and breathe in cause us to see those things in opposition, which is really challenging because they're actually two sides of the same coin. Yeah. They aren't two separate things, but we've been told that we have to believe they are. And right. in operate in mode of operating, they often we're told they have to function that way.
0: Yeah, I would say that's completely Dead on description of what it feels like to be, you know, alive today. And especially, I just resonated uh, with what you were saying when you said cheap grace that doesn't change anything. Like, and just, you know, there's this idea of acceptance. And if we don't quote unquote accept, which everyone has a different definition of that, what that actually should look like. But if we don't accept people, which means, for some people kind of like accept all of who I am and what I do, which means don't oppose it. Don't tell me it's wrong. Don't have an opinion. Just kind of let me be, let live and let live, like worry about yourself, then you don't love me. And so, you know, that's kind of the cultural narrative that's going on in the background all the time. And even as believers and in relationship to other believers, that secular narrative can sometimes kind of seep in,
1: I think. When it becomes the, right, oh, so this is what we think the foundation is made of. Mm-hmm. When scripture gives us such a very different picture of the foundation that we build relationships on, that we build our lives on. And Ephesians gives us, I think, a really powerful picture of that mm-hmm. in starting and building throughout chapter three, where it declares the good news of the gospel, the sure and steady foundation of a suffering and risen savior. Mm -hmm. And then it continues in chapter four and it starts pulling out and explaining and building and painting this picture of, so then what does that look like? So then if that's our sure and steady foundation, what does that look like? And I would submit to I would have it will be a different conversation to talk about grace and truth and love and wisdom when you're talking about somebody who doesn't share that foundation as opposed yeah. to conversations where you do. There's similarities and overlap, but we probably need to parse out like yeah. there is a different reality there.
0: Absolutely. And I think yeah, we should definitely differentiate those two. So, you know, I I just mentioned how for me that side of kind of um, the cheap grace that doesn't ever change anything resonates with the the pressure and some of what I hear coming from, you know, secular conversations around morality and whatever, all of the things it's just, that's, that's kind of where we're at as that culture. But I know from personal experience that I have been on the giving end of the truth that bludgeons people, irrespective of where they are. I certainly have you know it's easy for us to steamroll people sometimes in pursuit of like this high moral standard or this virtue that i think we can see so clearly in <laughs> how other people are falling short you know and i'm i'm really speaking from my current life experience this is not really in the past this is like me today that all the time i am being brought back into right relationship with god via his love and his grace for me and the fact that I know I can come back even when I sin because he is merciful and he loves me. And it isn't the Ten Commandments being like beat over my head that makes me come back. And so I'm I'm wrestling with like, I know what brings me back to him, but right. I sometimes really don't know how to do that for other people. And I don't know how to do that in a way that is, like you said,
1: employing love instead of just truth. Mm. I think that's a really, it represents, even in that statement, different challenges that our personality strengths and weaknesses bring to a situation Mm -hmm. as compared to who we're speaking with. So all of those things play in. But I think if we could just even take a step back from, okay, here's my own tendency and say, what would it mean first to... Ask questions and truly listen to the story and perspective of someone before we're ready to speak truth. So, if it's not a matter of speaking it or not, but more a question of when and how, Mm -hmm. I think that's what Ephesians points us to is not you either speak it or you don't, but it's more the questions of when do you speak? How do you speak? And even underneath that, why do you speak? Yeah. And I would offer and encourage and say I've seen fruit from and hope to grow in more and more an ability to ask questions, to truly seek understanding. Because sometimes what is said at the forefront isn't actually what's going on underneath what someone is sharing. What someone is talking about, what someone is presenting, even the question they're asking might be deeper than what comes out of their mouth at first. Yeah. So to slow down, ask questions, and truly seek to understand—not ask questions as a way to manipulate or like get them to the place you want them to go, but to truly understand because that's what love does—is mm-hmm. pursues first that kind of understanding and. Then I think in that, we have an opportunity to build and then share the good news of the gospel in a way that meets people where they really are, not where we think they are immediately, not with the quick answer we want to give them. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot more spiritual work for us. That is hard work on our souls. Because when I really listen and slow down, I have to wrestle with the Lord about some of those things. Whereas, if I have a quick and easy answer, that's not that hard of work for me either. Mm-hmm. So,
0: I guess that's has been, I haven't thought a lot about that it can kind of be the the lazy or the easy way out to just be like, well, here I'm going to hit you with the truth. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like here it is, you're wrong, <laughs> and and expect right. that somehow that is like enough, or that that is what God meant by speak the truth in love. Like that's cheapening truth, you know, even. Right. To, Like you were saying with cheap grace, I mean, that's making truth sort of almost just like it's all fact driven and there's no understanding of this like eternal human soul that is obviously more complex than what meets the eye. And someone's actions are always much more, like you said, like there's always something going on that is not immediately apparent, no matter what it is whether that person is acting out in a a particular behavior or whether there's a pattern or whether there's a a specific sin struggle. I mean, I know that for myself. I know that for my own heart, you know, it's never just what meets the eye. There's always so much more beneath and we aren't the Holy spirit. And so we don't, Perceive all of that at, right. you know, at the, the moment that we might see the surface level issues. And I mean, if you're a parent, you know, this is true from your kids, you know, you, Oh my see, goodness. <laughs> like you, there's so much evidence that it's not about, you know, sneaking the food or it's not about telling mm-hmm. the lie and hiding your sister's toy. In your vanity drawer, (laughs) not that I would not that I would know about that. (laughs) Right, (laughs) (laughs) this is an ongoing problem for us. But you know, there's there's just so much more. It's like a a distrust. I don't I don't think you're good. I don't know if you're really going to give me what I need. I don't think you you know see see my needs. And it's like if I just hammer Isla for you stole her shopkin again. You told you put right. it in the drawer again. I can't believe you would do this. I've told how many times have I said, stop taking her toys and hiding them and outright blatantly lying to us. You know, she's going to feel very guilty. Like she will. Right. And I, I know I can make her feel the guilt of her sin. And I know she knows it's sin, but I'm not like getting at the issue, which is like, why do you think you need to do that? Why do you okay. feel compelled to take what isn't yours? Do you think that mom doesn't, Give you, you know, good things too. Do you think that I am out to get you, or that you have to take for yourself what you need? And it's then it's really getting the heart issue there. So I know that that's true,
1: right? So if we see what's on the outside as not something to ignore, but something to help us probe deeper, so it's not a matter of saying, "Oh, I know there's something else going on," so it's okay that you took her toy. It's saying, right. "Hey." I see this, this isn't okay. And let's look at what's going on beyond that. Let's look at what else is there. And I think that takes two things. If I would say the things that I feel like God is repeatedly, regularly, and constantly teaching me is how much patience we need with ourselves and with one another, and how much persistence. Because we often would say, oh, patience. And then we maybe even start to couch that. As in a way that would make it passive. Mm -hmm. But we need both the patience with one another and persistence to not allow that to just slide under the rug. Yeah. To not deceive ourselves or other people with like empty words of assurance, but instead, looking deeper isn't a way to avoid, it's a way to say there's more there. You are a whole person, not just what I see on the outside.
0: Yeah man so good and and actually i mean i think in that way we are imaging christ because we are seeking to see that person and like truly see that person which mm-hmm. a lot of times i think serves to just start to heal whatever is broken or hurting because we do often act out of a place of really feeling kind of unseen or not known or not loved you know and so it's like when you finally see someone i Again, just see that so clearly with kids, like when you finally- put, kind of put your finger in what is aching or what is hurting, they just they break down, they cry because right. they because it it's like yes, that's it. I didn't realize that was what it is, but I do think that you know I do feel like you don't want what's best for me or you just want to take things from me How do you see that posture kind of being taken in Ephesians and as you were talking about earlier, how we we see those questions being asked, I guess, changing the conversation from if we speak the truth or
1: not to when and how and why. First of all, can I just name that that even this conversation could make you feel like it's easier than it is? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) That what happens for me regularly is I'll be asking questions and I'll be honest, I'll ask questions and I sit in this space of where I don't really see. And I feel like, oh, I I feel like there's more there, but I don't see. And it's this murky gray area of, and I can be tempted in that place to try to play the role of the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. and to go hunting for something more and press really hard and not exude patience. And sometimes it just takes a while. It just Like it's not a one-off conversation. I think these things are best pressed out in true relationship because it takes a while. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So I will just say, I find it very challenging. And one of the most challenging parts of the Christian life is that odd, gray, murky area. Not where I'm gray and murky about what is true and good and right, but the application of that requires more wisdom than I often give it credit for. Right. Yeah. So practically, like I can think of a couple of practical ways it plays out and the challenges with that. So I see it playing out in small ways with my kids. And I don't mean small as in insignificant, but in here's the beauty of kids. They don't have the sophisticated ways of covering up and masking things (laughs) that we do as adults. So when I say simple, it's a little more straightforward. And within our home, we, by God's mercy and grace, have a significant bond of trust. Mm -hmm. So you pair those two things together. Number one, they don't have the masks that you have to peel back and uncover because they haven't learned them yet. And number two, they have trust. So we're over a few hurdles there. Mm -hmm. but my, one of my kids in particular, I won't name which one really struggles with a quick, if they do something wrong, it's an immediate response of such anger and blaming other people. Mm -hmm. And I would be tempted in that moment to quickly correct that. But when I slow down and ask questions, it comes from a really quick reflex in this child towards shame that they've done something wrong, yeah. which is really different than another one of my children who is fiercely independent and doesn't really care about anyone's approval. (laughs) And so in that same thing, they would do something, they've done it in true defiance. Right. Right. So as I've peeled back the layers, how I approach one is different than how I approach the other. Not that both people behaving in a similar way doesn't require correction and calling forth, but what I find underneath is a very different motivation. Yeah. Yeah. That's really true. So how about adults? Don't we find that a little trickier? Like we could talk about so our kids. So much harder.
0: I know, <laughs> and it, it is easy to go to the kids because it's. And I feel bad picking on them because, like, I you know said they, they can't hide their sin, and <laughs> yes. they're just not that good at it. You know, I mean, they try, like, but I, I just know. And It's like you figured out there's a pattern. It's always in the vanity. I know now. Yes. You know. <laughs> yes. so, so. where's
1: but, the vanity for adults? Like, right? Like, what
0: you know? Where is your proverbial vanity that you're hiding the shopkin? <laughs> yeah. Right. Let me take a second to tell you about the sponsor of today's show, Prep Prep PrepDish is a meal planning service where they provide you a grocery list, step-by-step instructions, and a selection of meals that you get to pick from. And what you do is one day in the week, you spend two to three hours prepping all of the meals. So chopping, marinating, mixing sauces, that sort of thing. So that on dish day, the day you're gonna eat that meal, You can open up your fridge, get the things out that are already prepped and ready to eat or heat up, whatever it may be, depending on the meal, so that you can spend less time cooking each day and more time enjoying mealtime with your family. Each daily prep time per meal is a quick and easy 20 to 30 minutes. Uh, And here's an example of a few of the recipes that came to my inbox this week. Oriental cashew chicken with zoodles balsamic pork chops with roasted broccoli and rice bison burgers with carrot and parsnip fries lemon chicken breast with sauteed spinach and mushrooms and rice these are things that i would not think to create and they're not complicated recipes I know they're healthy and they're good. And if my husband wants to add some bread to one of the paleo recipes, then he can do that. But there are things that are going to make me feel good and kind of push me into trying new things that I wouldn't have otherwise, uh, recipes that I might not have even thought of. So I love this service and I know you guys will too. If you want to get a two-week free trial, go to prepdish.com slash kindled.
1: And can we name also a reality that sometimes it feels a little disorienting when people come with really significant challenges that we anticipated we would be looking up to, Mm. or that we actually carry into that conversation hurt and disappointment of our own. Yeah, I don't think that we can just ignore that reality because what we bring into the conversation is... Our wounds about that. Oftentimes, if it's something really, if someone's behaving in a really harmful way, we aren't emotionally disengaged from it. Mm -hmm. And so, I think that presents a particular challenge for us too: is to slow down and pray, ask questions when we feel a lot of heat and a lot of venom about someone else's behavior or someone else's challenges. I think is a place for us to ask ourselves questions about where are we hurting? What Mm -hmm. other things do we bring in? Are we putting hope in whether they change? Like, Mm -hmm. There's a place of a lot of interrogation for us in that that I think is hard and important.
0: Yeah. So should we kind of talk about, like you mentioned earlier, addressing, dealing with these issues with people who are believers and we know they are Christians. We know that they love Jesus. We know that, you know, versus the people in our lives who we might have doubts, or we might not be certain, or we might be certain that they're not, you know, and I don't even know, frankly, what that looks like, because that's just an entirely different conversation almost. So yeah,
1: how would you kind of break that down? My husband was doing a specific kind of coaching thing with an older mentor. And do you know what the man said something so impactful? He'd been a pastor for years and years and years. And he said, Do you know that most adults have never had anyone listen to their stories ever? Mm-hmm. And so I would submit that it is a beautiful and powerful ministry for both to start out with understanding, asking questions, seeking to know. And then one will be in a place where they're called to hear and respond to the truth in a particular way because they've already affirmed in a way the lordship of King Jesus in their life. The other one, it's an invitation. That's an invitation to you are putting your hope in these things and they will fail you. There is only one hope who will never fail you. His name is Jesus. And it is an opportunity in one way, to share the good news of the gospel for the first time in that particular way, or maybe the 20th time and call them to turn and believe. And the call for someone else is to say, you have believed this. These are the things that you have followed to and turn and repent Mm -hmm. because you're called to be imitators of Christ. You are called to bring yourself before the throne. So it looks similar, but, how we actually press that all the way out can be different. And with the one who has an understanding of certain aspects of truth, you have heard, you may not know this. Where are you struggling to believe? Mm -hmm. Like those kinds of questions, because a lot of times they're at the place where I know this, I have been struggling and wrestling and trying to cast aside this pursuit of addiction. And I, it's just entangling me.
0: Yeah.
1: So the difference there, and I will tell you, it takes a lot of long-time faithful care and love when someone is really struggling with indwelling sin who has put their faith in Jesus. Yeah. The amount of shame that they carry, the ways that they feel deficient when they have tried and tried and tried in various ways, those things that entangle require a lot of persistence and patience from us. Mm.
0: Yeah. I was just kind of thinking as you were talking how, you know, you said it's similar but different. And I think my tendency is to not see it as similar. Like I see it as they're they're completely divorced. Like the way I would deal with a Christian is completely different than how I would deal with someone who's not a Christian. And because I would have different expectations for the believer, I would have different terms. I could say things. I could reference things that I would believe that they know to be true, or I would kind of appeal to their intellect, I guess, in a way that I would not with the non-believer. But where I'm seeing that that is faulty, it falls short and it doesn't hold up is that really all sin is tied to unbelief. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, any sin in the life of a Christian or the life of a non-believer you know, it's not primarily of whatever the surface sin looks like, whether it looks like addiction or selfishness or dishonesty or or whatever, idolatry, but it's rooted in unbelief. And I know, I, I mean, at least I'm speaking for myself. I know like my persistent sin patterns, my persistent lifelong struggles that I've had since I was a child even are really, they go back to that. And so it's almost like, I, I think it's easier to mess it up with other people who we believe are Christians mm-hmm. and and are kind of on the same page as us because we can treat them differently in the sense that like you shouldn't be sinning. Why are you? <laughs> you right. know, like right. Like, why are you doing this? Like, so tell me, like, what's going on? What's what you know? What's happening here? When really, like, if I turn that mirror around and look at myself, it's like the the very same question is like, well. You know why? Because right. you know because you're not believing God, like because you're trying to find the answer in yourself, or because you're trying to create the solution for yourself. And so it's like I know in my own heart and life why sin continues to crop up, and yet I kind of have this other expectation of other Christians that like you should know better, you know, and and instead not I, I should not be surprised by sin, right? It doesn't mean right. I'm not against it. It doesn't mean I don't think it is completely against what God's will and purpose and design is for us but
1: I shouldn't be like so shocked when I see it I guess well and I think we have a tendency American Christianity has formed for us an understanding of change and transformation that ignores the middle ground of discipleship which we hear the good news of the gospel and then we think that our life should be an easy yoke yeah But there's this long middle ground of discipleship where we are learning and growing and we are seeing, you know, that song, Jesus is better, help my heart believe. Why do we sing that? Because there are ways in which we know Jesus is better and we need to grow into believing. We need to continue to come. It's this daily coming, Jesus, I struggle to believe here help me believe. Let me turn away from this thing I have trusted in and turn and follow you in this area. It's that kind of daily, regular, and it's a long middle ground. We often want the easy yoke without having to go through the middle. And I think that is so much of the Christian life is that kind of being formed into the image of Christ, that growth is painful you're growing a human in there. So, you know, Mm -hmm. like there's a stretching and a growing that is often slower than we want and doesn't feel quite as good as we wish it did. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, like for the relationships where there might be uncertainty and, you know, whether that is a parent or a sibling or a relative, you know, those intimate relationships where, Maybe you thought you knew who someone was or you thought you knew mm-hmm. what they believed, and then you start to see things that make you question or go, wait, that isn't what you know like you're saying earlier, like that disappointment that's not what i that's not what I expected of you or this is causing me to doubt is this real faith that is real and active in your life, and you're just kind of walking in the opposite direction of what God would would say is best, or was it not ever real and and mm-hmm. I think. I can sometimes want to have some finality or like certainty mm-hmm. or answer of like, well, where are they at? So I know what to say. And then that I think I can tend to think that I'm supposed to be the Holy spirit, you know, Yes. and somehow know the heart of man. And I can't, and I know that I can't as evidenced by, you know, previous experiences in my life. And so, you know, maybe I'm asking the wrong question there. Maybe it's not as much about, well, like where are they at as much as, it is about allowing the Holy Spirit to do the work because He knows where they are at. And and I don't know if you could kind of give some wise counsel as to how we, you know, engage with those people that we might not
1: be certain. I think in a beautiful way, we are both freed from things that aren't our job and called towards things that God calls us to, which gives us both a freedom and a purpose. We're free in that. You don't have to know. There will be ways in which you won't know and it's not your job to know. Mm -hmm. But we have a really beautiful call and a purpose in that we are called to declare the reason for the hope that we have in our lives and in our words and in our deeds and in our love. And so it might mean over time, in various conversations, that, oh, hey, I see you running after that. And I have found so much freedom in following Jesus in this way and following Jesus in that way. So we're freed from, which makes us less anxious when we come into those situations, if we can live into the freedom we have that it isn't up to us. Mm -hmm. And I'm studying in Jonah right now. And the end of chapter two says salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah has been like all over. He didn't want to go declare the good news to the people of Nineveh because he didn't want them to be saved. I mean, he got on a boat, he all of those things. And like the crux of the book is salvation belongs to the Lord. Yeah. And so what is our response in that? Then we're called to share the hope that we have, share the hope that we have and live into that hope. I think it gives us a great invitation.
0: Yeah. That's really, really helpful just to refocus your own heart and remind yourself that you are not the bringer of salvation and God may use your words to, you know, really convict and draw that person back to him, but he also may not, you know, and sometimes we just, we want to be used so badly. It's like, we want, we want to be like so effective that we overstep those bounds and forget our role may not be the role that we envisioned.
1: So if salvation belongs to the Lord, then what? what's one of the most beautiful things that we can commit our lives to doing on behalf of other people? And I would submit it is to intercede and pray for them and ask for God to do and ask God to show us mm-hmm. what it looks like for us to walk in wisdom. And I know it's always like the feels like the answer we put at the end of everything is to pray, but it shouldn't be the thing we put at the end of everything. If we truly believe that salvation belongs to the Lord, Mm. then we can pray and intercede with confidence, with persistence, with hope that we're interceding and asking, not because we're demanding that God do what we want and conform to our will, but because we believe he is King and Lord of all.
0: Mm -hmm. When you are in a place where you are maybe presented with an opportunity or you have been asking for wisdom and timing and to know when and how, and then maybe you're, you're actually presented with an opportunity. Do you have any ideas or words of advice? You've done this in your own, you know, relationships with people, whether it is, you know, identifying like if that is the right moment or, you know, what you would say, is it just really a case by case thing? Or is there Mm -hmm. any kind of
1: checkpoints or markers for you that you like go back to? That's a great question. People would have different tendencies and personality. And in our current cultural moment, I think I've had to acknowledge I would tend to shy away when I should move forward because of what I have breathed in from culture. So that it's not loving to actually call people to faith, to speak hard things. That's not actually loving. So I have had to spend some time and say, Hey, where am I operating out of fear or that kind of thing? So I think I need to step forward more than I do. I'll say that first. Mm -hmm. Second, I, lots of times, if I'm thinking about it and reflecting right now, I think I share in vulnerability from where God has met me and then share with them what I see and invite them to respond. So yeah, I have struggled with sin in this area. Here's who God has showed himself to be. And this is what it means to turn from that and repent. Can we walk that out together?
0: Hmm. That's a scary question. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it is just kind of a, it's, it's like more direct than we're used to being maybe, Mm -hmm. but it's, would you say that only to someone that you've, felt like was a believer or could you say something like that to to anyone
1: I think it would be framed a little differently but basically a similar thing here's how god has met me and changed me here's the good news of who jesus is here's the good news of the cross and the resurrection and in that what you are today is not the end of the story you can meet with god you can know god And can we walk that out together? I met with a gal this week and she said, I think what I need is just accountability. I think I just need you to ask me whether I'm doing these things. And I took a step back and then I challenged a little bit and said, I kind of wonder if that will feel more to you, like I'm policing your behavior. Mm -hmm. Can we instead walk out that together and then some on your own and then come back and walk it out together. Can it not just be me asking like accountability policing type questions, Mm -hmm. but instead can it be the kind of accountability where we are walking parts of that out together? Which would be like what? For example, for her, it was, hey, I want accountability in how I spend time in scripture, how I spend time doing this because I'm struggling with sin in this area. Right. And I said, how much, where are you at right now with how you're spending time with God. She said, well, I haven't really done it at all in a long time. I said, okay, so just be honest with me. I said, is it going to be easy for you to get over the hump of starting to do that on your own? Or would it be helpful if we did it together a little bit, then you went and did it on your own, then we did it together, and then you did more on your own. Would that be a little bit more helpful? And she said, well, yeah, but I didn't think you would ever want to do that.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I think, oh, I think that is what it means to share in the Christian life is not just, oh, you go take care of you all on your own and then come back here and let me ask you the hard questions and then send you off to do it all on your own. Can Mm -hmm. it be a little bit more of a dance, Mm -hmm. a little bit more of a let's do together, let's walk this out together. And then we'll talk about, hey, as you study this passage, what does it look like for you to confess sin? Where are you struggling to believe this, that kind of walking out? Okay. Now, why don't you go spend some time processing that and navigating that? So that's just an example from this week. Yeah, that's good. That's helpful
0: because, it, and it isn't so. It opens the door to more conversations. It isn't so cut and dry. Like, tell me right now, you know, almost yeah, like a confessional, like that. Yes. You know, as though you are somehow the priest that can take that to Jesus and go. Yes.
1: You
0: know. And that that not only. Is not how it works, but also leads that other person to believe that somehow, you know, confessing to you is their primary concern. Right. Or making you kind of their mini savior, which, not that that's what that person wanted, but it could easily kind of just start to color the way that we think of ourselves in relationship with other people.
1: I also think it's how, I mean, I can just think of numerous different examples and different ways in which people came. It's very different if someone is resistant to. And does not want to hear that how they're walking in sin, as opposed to someone who is really struggling with a thorn in their flesh? Mm -hmm. That's a really different sort of scenario. Like you have somebody who's doesn't want it, but still wrestles with the sin in their flesh. Mm -hmm. That's a very different place than someone who has stiff armed and said, Hey, I'm going to do whatever I want. Like I am the authority. Those are two very different things. And sometimes what feels like the stiff arm is actually a really significant way they learn to protect themselves from hurt. Yeah. But it does require a different dance. It requires listening. And then it may require saying, oh, hey, this actually, you don't get to decide this. I've heard you describe your story. And I know there's a lot of hurt there. And I see this, but you don't have the power to heal yourself. You don't have the power to overcome this on your own here's what it looks like for us to walk with Jesus in that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And how would you say the relational intimacy with someone plays into all of this? Because I know we can't just walk up to anybody on the street and have these conversations. There's gotta be some proximity or closeness that is there really to have this conversation to the degree that it it will be, you know, received well. And although we can't guarantee that, even if it is a close relationship, you know, say it's your spouse, like you can't guarantee a good response every time, but there's obviously something there. There's something to be said for, are you really kind of, are you in relationship with this person or are you just kind of seeing something that you think you need to call out and doing that from across the street in a
1: sense? Right. Right. And I don't have like a perfect answer for that because I think we could also tend to say, well, I don't know them well enough to say anything. I think we could use it as a cop-out. Yeah. So I feel hesitant to say, oh, here's how much relational collateral could be because then it can move to an ideal, well, I haven't had enough time with them.
0: Yeah.
1: I do think you need some kind of relational collateral a lot of times, most of the time Mm -hmm. because people, man, when I was teaching, we said they don't care how much you know unless they know how much you care. I'm sorry. That's straight up humanity. Like we, we want to know someone cares about us and not just making us do the right thing. Mm -hmm. So uh, I wish I could give you a better answer for that. But I think if we could say, is our motivation love? Like that kind of question for ourselves, then yeah, you could love somebody who you don't know super well.
0: Yeah, certainly. That's good.
1: Any other final
0: thoughts on this or encouragements to women who are listening who are feeling there's like a particular situation that they you know, are, are facing that they need wisdom and love and grace and truth for?
1: I would say this last thing. What it means for us to be faithful doesn't mean we're guaranteed an outcome. Meaning God calls us to particular areas of conflict resolution. The Bible is really clear about ways that we are to address division, the Mm. ways we are to address conflict, Mm. hurt, and we don't address them because we are guaranteed an outcome. Mm. We address them because it's what it means to be faithful to what God has called us to, because we are also being changed in the process. This isn't about us bringing something, so therefore someone else will see in turn. We are... Brought before the throne of grace, we are convicted of sin in the process. And so what it means to be faithful isn't when we just look and say, Oh, well, I'm going to be faithful because I can see a chance for a positive outcome. There have been numerous times when I thought there's not even a very good chance for a positive outcome here. But what it means for me to be faithful is to walk this out in grace and truth Mm -hmm. and hold it with an open arms towards God, knowing that I will fail. There's lots of ways I will fail and need so much grace from the hand of God Mm -hmm. because I will love someone like I will, they'll feel bludgeoned when I intended kindness. I mean, I think like I have a forceful personality, so maybe that would be, I would intend love and kindness, or I would so be afraid to bludgeon that I would not be clear at all. I mean, I will, I will need the grace and mercy of God to weave all of that. Yeah.
0: So we can walk forward in faith and confidence, not in our own ability, but in, you know, him who calls us and says, okay, this is your role and no, you're not going to have a successful, nice feeling after every conversation. And in fact, like most of the time you'll probably walk away (laughs) feeling like that was a mess. You know, I just feel like I made it worse. (laughs) Like, was I completely out of line? And, and I don't, there's there's obviously no hard and fast like rule to to judge every situation by, but that it it will probably feel like a mess more of the time than it doesn't.
1: Right. And it will be in process and yeah. we will grow yeah. as we walk in faith.
0: Well, that's so encouraging and helpful. I know it's it there aren't necessarily black and white answers for how to do that in relationship, but I think your question of am I doing this from a place of love? And like in seeking long-term, the, I don't know, being in it for the long haul and not just mm-hmm. a quick resolution and the quick answer would amen help yes. a lot of us.
1: <laughs> it is the long game. It is yeah. the long game. Like that's the view God has with us and we can have yeah. that with one another.
0: Yeah, that's really helpful. Well, thank you, Sarah. Thanks so much for
1: chatting with you today. Thanks for having me. Have a good one.
0: All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening today. Next week, I'm going to have a conversation with someone who was a former New Age astrologer, actually a professional astrologer for eight years and heavily, heavily involved in the New Age for over two decades of her life. Uh, She came out of it into Christianity and she is going to be sharing her testimony and her story with us next week. Um, and then the following week, we're going to get into a little bit more of the practical nature of how the new age is kind of seeping into Christian church and popular Christian thought today. So excited for the next couple weeks. They're going to be awesome. I will talk to you guys next Monday. Until then, come say hi to me on Instagram at HaleyWilliams_Kindled. Okay, bye.